Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, is made possible in part by the Florida Humanities Council and the National Endowment for the Humanities. It's also made possible in part by the Jesse Ball DuPont Fund and by the Brevard County Board of Commissioners through the Brevard Cultural Alliance, Incorporated. This is Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, on the web at myfloridahistory.org. I'm Ben Broatmarkle, and coming up on this week's program, a special tribute to author, activist, and folklorist Stetson Kennedy. And the oral history, of course, is a participant and a witness, at least. And uh, they're, they're seeing it with all their sensory organs, and for that reason, it has more validity from my point of view. Stetson Kennedy passed away on Saturday, August 27th at the age of 94. He died in Jacksonville, where he was born in 1916, but he documented the culture of Florida from the Panhandle to Key West. And looking at the map, we saw that Key West was the farthest southernmost point, so that's where we ended up. A tribute to the great Floridian Stetson Kennedy ahead on Florida Frontiers. I done spent my last three cents Mailing my letter to the president Didn't make a show, I didn't make a dent So I'm swinging over to this independent chain Stetson Kennedy, writing his name in Stetson Kennedy, writing his name in Can't win out to save my soul Long as Mathers DuPont's got me in the hole And war profit boys are squawking and barking That's what's got me out here Walking and talking Knocking on doors and windows Wake up and run down election morning And scribble in Stetson Kennedy The song Stetson Kennedy was written by folk legend Woody Guthrie in support of Stetson Kennedy's independent campaign for the U.S. Senate in 1950. The song was rediscovered and recorded by Billy Bragg and Wilco in 2000. Stetson Kennedy's social activism and the books that came from it have made him a Florida icon. Stetson Kennedy's career began in 1937 when he joined the WPA's Florida Writers Project. At the age of 21, he was named head of the unit on folklore, oral history, and socio-ethnic studies. Well, it was a, the Great Depression for one thing, and I didn't have a job along with tens of millions of other Americans. And uh, at the same time, President Roosevelt had organized something called the Federal Writers Project, and I thought this would be an opportunity for a 21-year-old uh, to start a writing career. So. I signed up for the Florida Writers Project, and in a short time they did uh, elevate me to the, that position. I was wearing three hats. Uh, Zora Neale Hurston, as a matter of fact, was uh, my, I was her boss. She was not an easy one to boss, I can tell you. She fortunately worked out of her home in Eatonville, and I was in Jacksonville, so it was like that. Still, it was Hurston's lack of emphasis on racial difficulties that inspired Stetson Kennedy to make the issue a focal point of his work. Do free association with me and Zora. The first thing I think of is a little story she sent in. 
said one day God was on his way to Palatka and him and St. Peter was hoofing it and it went on from there. <laughs> so everything she sent in was a, a real jewel. Uh, Alan Lomax was also a good friend of mine, colleague, and he said that in the field Zora was absolutely magnificent. He was recording in Eatonville with Zora in as early as 35 and they went on out to the Everglades and then to the Georgia Sea Islands. Yeah, Zora was, was a mess. <laughs> uh, our politics uh, were very different. Uh, uh, she never turned in any black po protest law, for example. And of course, that was one of the very few forms that the blacks could protest. If it didn't rhyme and you didn't dance a jig the while, you were dead. Uh, but Zora chose to ignore all that stuff, and so I made it one of my specialties. Zora Neale Hurston's strong will is well known, and Stetson Kennedy is not the only person who had difficulty supervising her in a work setting. When Mary McLeod Bethune hired Hurston to run the drama department at Bethune-Cookman College, the two women disagreed about almost everything, and Hurston left the school after less than a year. Hurston's Harlem Renaissance contemporaries complained that she did not criticize race relations strongly enough in her writings, a view shared by her Florida Writers Project supervisor, Stetson Kennedy. Hurston grew up in Eatonville, the first incorporated municipality in the United States entirely governed by African Americans. This gave her a unique perspective on race and a strong sense of independence. From 1937 to 1942, Stetson Kennedy lugged around a recorder the size of a coffee table to record the oral histories, tall tales, and folk songs of a diverse group of Floridians from cracker cowboys to Greek sponge divers to turpentine industry workers. Actually, it was a precursor to the uh, wire recorder came next uh, before the tape recorder. And this recorder was like a, a coffee table, except it took two or three good men to lift it. When we wanted to go out on the railroad tracks or on the pogey fishing boats, uh, we had to get some manpower, and it was uh, on the tracks, it was powered by two automobile batteries. So that's, that's what we had to work with. I called it the thing. The recordings that Stetson Kennedy made in the cities, towns, and rural backwoods of Florida led to the classic 1942 book, Palmetto Country. This important social history of Florida is being republished by the Florida Historical Society Press with a new afterword and 80 historic photographs. It was one of the first volumes in the American Folkways series, edited by Erskine Caldwell. And uh, we really pioneered in oral history. No one had ever heard of it at, up at that time, and talking about 1935 and 6. I recall here in Titusville, uh, I, I was interviewing an elderly black man, this is a later period, and I um, happened to mention the moonshot. And he said, you don't believe that stuff, do you? And uh, I said, well, you know, uh, he says, it's just some more of that BS the government puts out. <laughs> it was an exciting, uh, you know, field to be in. We, we had a lot of fun. Like, like kids on a treasure hunt, really. As a pioneer of oral history, Kennedy is pleased to see how the field has advanced in recent decades. Yes, uh, just recently at the Library of Congress, uh, they've launched something called StoryCorps, in which these streamlined uh, sound studios on wheels uh, are touring the country and uh, taking oral histories uh, from coast to coast. And they uh, honored me with letting me kick it off with an interview. 
And yes, indeed, it's come come a long way. I, I'm a great believer in oral history because uh, I call it the dictatorship of the, the footnote. The, the academicians uh, are quoting each other you know, instead of uh, going out and getting first-hand primary source material. And oral history, of course, is a participant and a witness, at least. And uh, they're, they're seeing it with all their sensory organs. And for that reason, it, it has more validity from my point of view. Some historians argue that oral histories are sometimes less reliable than more traditional research sources because people's memories are not always accurate. Kennedy believes that the best history comes from the recollections of everyday people. It's uh, uh, being there and uh, telling history from the bottom up is, of course, history. It's the little man that makes history and not the generals. And uh, so I like to hear from the little man. Folk musician Woody Guthrie, best known for the song This Land is Your Land, was a big fan of Stetson Kennedy's work. Guthrie spent many of his last years living in Kennedy's house in Beluthahatchee Park. I recall Guthrie saying at one time, uh, Stetson's not exactly a folklorist, he's a po-focused, uh, by which he meant, uh, I suppose, a champion of the poor, uh, one of the folk, and not writing from, from some other point of view. Yes, Woody uh, spent a lot of time at my place up in St. John's County. And in fact, we just discovered 80 plus songs that he wrote in St. John's County, uh, all about my place and uh, the wildlife. And uh, I remember one song called Baby Buzzard. Says, Baby Buzzard, uh, look over on in that limousine, some of the rottenest stuff you ever seen. And <laughs> So on, 80 songs here in Florida, and it was all new material for Woody. He was writing about, he'd pick up manuscripts. I was overseas, but he'd pick up my manuscripts and ended up writing, turning them into songs. And things like chain gang and peonage and sweat boxes and things Woody had never thought about before. Uh, he made songs out of them. It was Stetson Kennedy's infiltration of the Ku Klux Klan and other white supremacist groups that earned him national and international recognition. Using the name John Perkins, Kennedy was able to secretly gather information that helped lead to the incarceration of a number of domestic terrorists. These experiences led to the 1954 book, I Rode with the Klan, which was later republished as The Klan Unmasked. I spent a lot of time in front of the mirror, you know, practicing the N-word and things like that. Uh, I didn't really have the face for it. In fact, I almost got killed. Uh, an interviewer came down from New York and I cautioned him about, you know, uh, blowing my cover. But he goes back and writes about this intense young man with a poet's face. And that almost got me killed. <laughs> there weren't that many of them in the Klan. As racial tensions were rising in the United States in the 1950s, Kennedy was having difficulty getting his books exposing bigotry published. The French existentialist philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre, best known for the play No Exit, published Kennedy's book The Jim Crow Guide in Paris in 1956. I first uh, infiltrated uh, during the war when the Klan was afraid that uh, President Roosevelt might uh, prosecute them under the War Powers Act. So they didn't put on their robes and they changed their names to various things like uh, American Shores Patrol and American Gentile Army and things like that. So that's how it all began. And yes, it's, it was exciting to put it mildly. Uh, when I went overseas uh, some years later, 
I thought I'd get away from my nightmares, you know, being caught. But in Paris, it was raining frequently, and the French traffic cops wore white rubber raincoats with capes and hoods, and their hand signals were very much like the Klan signals. So I kept on having nightmares. Although he never forgot his roots as a native Floridian, born in Jacksonville on October 5, 1916, Stetson Kennedy did choose to live abroad for about a decade. Well, McCarthy was going on. Uh, Eisenhower was president, and he was, as presidents go, he wasn't all that bad. But there was McCarthy. And, um, no, I went over to testify about slave labor uh, in the United States uh, before the United Nations in Geneva. And I went with a one-way ticket and eight dollars left over. So I was pretty much obliged to stay until I could... (laughs) And it took me eight years, so to speak, to raise the round trip home, Uh, during which time I saw most of Europe and North Africa and uh, across Eastern Europe as far as China. I was, I think, the first uh, independent journalist to get into China in uh, 54, I believe it was. Harry T. Moore was an educator and civil rights activist who founded the Progressive Voters League, registering tens of thousands of African-American voters in Florida. He was a statewide leader of the NAACP and fought for equal treatment for African-Americans in the justice system. Before he was killed when a bomb exploded under his home on Christmas night 1951, Harry T. Moore endorsed Stetson Kennedy's campaign for the U.S. Senate. Well, I recall uh, being here in the Titusville area. I came back. Uh, Moore was blown to pieces on Christmas night of 1951, which he and his wife had blown through the roof, uh, mattress and all. Uh, I came back a decade or so later, riding around talking to people to Mims, Florida, where it happened. And there was this elderly black man sitting under a shade tree, and I walked up and asked if he remembered uh, the night. And he said, uh, remember? Said, How could I ever forget? Said, uh, sounded like a cannon going off. Said, I said to myself, a uh, strange way to be celebrating Christmas night. Uh, Moore and I went back. Well, I, I was on the Moore case before it happened, you might say. I had announced for the United States Senate as an independent, colorblind uh, candidate for total equality. This is 1950, when uh, you know, it took a lot less than that to get you killed. And Moore's organization of, of black Floridian voters uh, called a meeting and invited the Democratic and Republican candidates and me to speak to them. And I'm the only one who showed up. And so they endorsed me unanimously. And so that's how it, it didn't really begin there because I had attended uh, meetings with more state NAACP meetings in Ocala and Orlando uh, so that uh, we were acquainted before that campaign. But I always felt guilty that the feeling that uh, my campaign, his endorsement of it, uh, played a major part in getting him killed. Stetson Kennedy's classic Florida book, Palmetto Country, is published by the Florida Historical Society Press. I ain't the world's best writer, ain't the world's best speller, but when I believe in something, I'm the loudest, yeah. If we fix it 
So you can't make no money on war Well, we'll all forget what we were just killing folks for We'll find us a peace job, equal and free We'll dump matters to park in a salty sea We'll dismake Stetson Kennedy This is Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, on the web at myfloridahistory.org. I'm Ben Broatmarkle, and you're listening to a special edition of the program, a tribute to author, activist, and folklorist Stetson Kennedy, who passed away on Saturday, August 27th at the age of 94. Stetson died in Jacksonville, Florida, the same town where he was born on October 5, 1916. Joining us now is Roz Foster, president of the North Brevard Heritage Foundation and a personal friend of Stetson Kennedy and his wife, Sandra Parks. The interview we just heard with Stetson was recorded a few years ago in Roz Foster's living room. Roz, thanks for being here. It's a pleasure to be here. How did you first meet Stetson Kennedy? Uh, actually, it was connection with the uh, my work at the Moore Center in MIMS, and uh, I was doing some research, and I got a phone call from him one day, and uh, we talked and discussed uh, what my work was and some of the things he wanted to uh, uh, to inform me of, and uh, we had a very uh, interesting conversation. Uh, we set a, a date for him and Sandra to come down and meet with me, and uh, we were friends from there on. People involved with Florida history and culture around the state are, are praising Stetson Kennedy for his for his great work, of course, but they're also talking about what, what a thoughtful person he was and how generous he was with his time and assistance. As you just mentioned, he uh, wanted to help you with, with, with what you were doing at the, the Moore Center. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, I found Stenson a very warm and caring person. Uh, he was interested in uh, uh, civil rights, of course, but also the human aspect of it. Uh, he liked uh, to talk about feelings and about uh, the depth of people, uh, what life meant to them. And uh, it was very important to seek out the truth. And um, uh, Stetson and I worked very well uh, with each other, uh, uh, talking uh, at great length about uh, several different subjects, uh, not only the Moors, but other subjects uh, of historical value, uh, but also just plain living. I was very interested in his uh, work that he did with folk life uh, back in the uh, 30s and 40s, uh, and uh, we have a, uh, had a common love for that. And and, um, but I found him a very compassionate person, a very caring person. Uh, but he was um, uh, uh, he was uh, wanted to search for the uh, the truth and right wrongs in life, and uh, uh, and I find him quite a gentleman also. Now, the Moore Cultural Complex in MIMS, of course, is dedicated to the memory of, of Harry T. Moore and his, his wife, uh, Harriet V. Moore. And you designed the uh, museum that was uh, originally placed in there, the Civil Rights Timeline. Is that what uh, Stetson wanted to offer his input on? Uh, yes. And also, uh, uh, the important thing that uh, got us uh, talking about uh, writing wrongs uh, uh, was that, uh, if you remember correctly, uh, we discovered the 
uh, long-lost Moore papers at the Hutchinson barn, and he was very interested in those papers and what the papers, uh, the story the papers had to tell. And these were papers that, uh, letters that Harry T. Moore had written in the the final year of his life, right? Yes, yes, uh uh-huh. Actually, uh, it was a recording of his uh, civil rights uh, work that he'd done from 1934, uh, until 1950, and uh, and uh, handwritten uh, notes on uh, on uh, programs from different churches, uh, speeches that he was to make, uh, uh, notations on certain uh, certain uh, items he was going to talk about. So uh, Stetson was very interested in that because, as you remember, uh, he testified in the uh, more hearings uh, uh, back uh, uh, when the FBI was in. Uh, during the investigation originally, and uh, so uh, we discussed several uh, several items about that. But what he wanted to do, uh, he wanted to share his files, the FBI files that he had. So actually, he invited me to his home several times in St. Augustine, uh, which uh, uh, we had work sessions and uh, discussed different uh, theories, uh, this type of thing. Now, Stetson Kennedy wasn't a trained professional historian, but that certainly doesn't diminish the importance of his work collecting and preserving and promoting Florida history and culture. And really, he's an inspiration to anyone interested in Florida history and culture. Absolutely. What he did is he brought uh, he brought uh, things to mind or or, or facts. Uh, uh, from what he had found uh, talking with people, interviews. Remember, he did a lot of interviews back then. But he he also uh, did in-depth research to back up what he was writing about. So uh, to share that with other historians, as he said, uh, that someone has to take up the torch after I'm gone. Roz Foster is president of the North Brevard Heritage Foundation. She's helping us to remember author, activist, and folklorist Stetson Kennedy, who passed passed away on Saturday, August 27th at the age of 94. Stetson died in Jacksonville, Florida, the same town where he was born on October 5th, 1960. This is Florida Frontiers. The last project that Stetson Kennedy completed before his death was a new book called The Florida Slave to be published by the Florida Historical Society Press. In 2008, Bill Dudley spoke with Kennedy about what was then his new book on Key West, a project 60 years in the making. I was in Jacksonville having a cold beer with a classmate of mine, and we said, let's get the hell out of this this climate and head south. And looking at the map, we saw that Key West was the farthest southernmost point, so that's where we ended up. That's Stetson Kennedy. In 1935, aged 19, he dropped out of college at the University of Florida and with a friend hitchhiked from Jacksonville to Miami, where they got on a bus and then a ferry boat to Key West. I arrived at night. The tide wasn't right, so the ferry just had to drop anchor and wait for the tide to be right so it could land. So while we were parked... Uh, they threw out fish lines and caught fish <laughs> and cooked fish chowder and served all the crew and passengers 
uh, waiting for the tide. Kennedy arrived in a Key West in transition. The decline of its fishing and cigar industries had bankrupted the city. Soon the WPA would arrive to reorient the economy of the region towards tourism. But for now, the island was a cultural melting pot where Anglos and African Americans, Cubans and Bahamians worked and lived together in a close-knit community. Oh my, Abico, Abico. Almost immediately I was struck by the, the language. It was my first experience in anything else but you know, a southern community. I remember one of the first expressions I heard the conks from the Bahamas were speaking their dialect and saying things like, when the wind is walking right, the water is crystal as gin. So I started taking notes and Eventually, I had very extensive notes, both Cuban and English. He remembers the people promenading along Whitehead and Duval Streets in the evenings. I remember the Cuban girls had a thing they called a buscanovia, uh, looking for sweetheart, curl, spit curl, down over the far. That meant they were looking for a sweetheart. During his stay in Key West, Kennedy met and proposed to 17-year-old Edith Aguilar Ogden, daughter of Cuban and Bahamian parents. I remember when we Edith and I were married at the wedding reception in her home. Uh, the windows on the ground store level, lots of kids sticking their heads in the window and holding evaporated milk cans through the window and saying, rum, rum, rum. They wanted a drink of the rum. And we had, by way of refreshments, had taken a case of Bacardi and poured it straight into a punch bowl. Kennedy remembers the cockfights on Sunday afternoons, the Cuban food, the fishermen, and the rum runners. We awakened one night about 2 a.m. and said one of the neighbors was in the business of rum running. And the story was, you know, everybody get up and so-and-so's got a load down at South Beach and he needs help getting it off the boat and into the cars. So everybody jump up and go down and help out. He recalls colorful locals like writer Ernest Hemingway, a Key West celebrity at Sloppy Joe's Bar. Tourists would start gathering in the early morning because they didn't know when he would be there, so they would stay there and drink all day waiting for him to show up. <laughs> and he would come in, he would tend to scribble, do some scribbling at the bar, you know, as a genius at work. But then having done all that, he would drive his jeep around the back door and they would load cases of stuff in payments for his having appeared. Kennedy returned in 1940, capturing songs and stories for the WPA Federal Writers Project. These and other WPA recordings are now on the Library of Congress website. For Peggy Bulger, who heads the library's American Folklife Center, Kennedy's work is an important slice of Key West history. It did have a distinctive culture. The Bahamian community was really very vibrant, and the fishing and different foodways from even the rest of Florida. In 1942, Kennedy published Palmetto Country, the definitive book on Florida folklore, soon to be reprinted. His new book is Grits and Grunts, Folkloric Key West. There are very few books that tell about what life was like before it was really discovered as a tourist haven. And maybe there's a lot of things that are unexplained that this book would explain. Mega books have bought out Key West, and so that the natives have been really driven into exile. The buildings remain, but the people who built them are, are gone. Of course, this affects the culture. The people living there now are not anything like those who were living there when I was living there. 
Stetson Kennedy's book, Grits and Grunts, Folkloric Key West, is published by Pineapple Press. I'm Bill Dudley. With funding from the Florida Department of State Division of Cultural Affairs, this report was produced by the Florida Humanities Council. You've been listening to a special edition of Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, a tribute to author, activist, and folklorist Stetson Kennedy, who passed away on August 27th at the age of 94. I'm Ben Brokemarkle. Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, is made possible in part by the Florida Humanities Council and the National Endowment for the Humanities. It's also made possible in part by the Jesse Ball DuPont Fund and by the Brevard County Board of Commissioners through the Brevard Cultural Alliance, Incorporated.